Hi, I'm Wendy Francis, nutrition therapist, emotional eating expert, and entrepreneur. I've helped countless people overcome their obsession with food and weight. Isn't it time you overcame what you had become and ignite who you were meant to be? Your time to become an overcomer starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Overcoming Your Emotional Eating. Today's topic is one I feel very strongly about, and it's one that I continue to strive for every day. Finding the self in yourself is imperative. Taking care of yourself, nurturing yourself, growing yourself, and loving yourself are all imperative much more now than ever. So in today's podcast, I talk about the self in yourself and how to find, nurture, grow, and love yourself. It's of utmost importance. You are the only you on this planet, and you are the only one that can take care of yourself. Take a listen. If you love what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining me. Has always one of my favorite times in the week. And uh, tonight's call and, and this podcast will really focus on um, something I feel more passionate about today than I felt 10 years ago, than I felt 20 or 30 years ago. Um, 30 years ago, I, I probably thought I had this portion of my life nailed. <laughs> ah, very funny. Um, even 10 years ago, I might have told you I had this portion of my life nailed. And the truth is, I didn't. And the more I have recognized in talking with clients and friends, the more I recognize what a devastating disaster we are all in when it comes to finding ourself in ourself. And what I mean by that is how do you care for yourself and why is that important? We're not taught this stuff in school realistically um, and for many of us we weren't taught it by our parents. I know that I was not taught self-care by my mom. It was not a strength of hers. Um, she did a lot of distraction, but she didn't do a lot of intentional self-care. And I know there's a lot written on self-care and self-love and self-worth, and <laughs> but, I, but I also recognize in all the reading that I do and all the podcasts I listen to and all the YouTube videos I listen to, that there isn't anything new written. It seems to be a lot of the same. And so what I hope to do tonight is give you another way and some other things to think about that absolutely help us put ourself in self-care. The more that I talk with people, women particularly, but it may happen with men too, um, but women particularly in their 40s, 50s, 60s, whether it be clients or friends, the more I recognize that as we have things come in our life, it, this is the first thing to go. And or many of us may have not even learned it on the front end of getting busy with careers or children or spouses or whatever we get busy 
with. And the truth is, what happens to so many of us is when we don't care for ourselves, we can find all this time to do things for everything else. And so you will get commended for lack of self-care by society, by our businesses, by our parents, by our friends, by our spouses, maybe even by your children. You will get more done in less time on the front end, so to speak, of this equation. And lots of people will say, oh my gosh, I don't know how you do it. How do you do it? How do you go with so little sleep? How do you, how do you get so much done? And that commendation is what keeps the raging unself-care going. Where it comes into play is that at some point we fall. Either we move into an addiction pattern to help fill the void or the hole, or our health winds up failing, or we wind up mentally having distress in whatever way that might be. Audrey Lord said, I have come to believe that caring for myself is not self-indulgent. Caring for myself is an act of survival. And that is absolutely how we have to think about self-care. I work with so many clients now that have this fear that I absolutely 1,000% relate to because I had the same thing, this fear of being looked at or viewed as selfish. And so anything, you know, is this kind of selfish reverse <laughs> Like a reverse narcissist. Is that a term? <laughs> We're going to make it a term tonight, right? So it's the person that's all about everybody else and not about themselves. A narcissist, if you don't know, or a narc, as, as teenagers call them now, and I'm actually glad that they're learning about narcs, um, but narcissists are all about themselves, right? So a reverse narcissist is the person that's all about everything and everybody else. And it becomes almost like an addiction because there's so much about helping others and fixing others and doing for others. And there's all this commendation com that comes from that. And the problem with that is that at some point it catches up to you. And the only person that can really take care of you is really you when it comes to this way. As I go through talking about this today, it's very important that you remember as you're listening today, your one job is to not say, oh, I should try that. She said that was a good idea. I don't want you to do anything because it sounds like a good idea. I want you to try it for yourself because what so often happens, you know, there's lists, hundreds of lists of things. Oh, you can sell, do self-care by taking a bubble bath, by getting your nails done, by getting your eyelashes done, or your hair extensions put on. I mean, there's, I've read so many lists. The problem is, is that it doesn't always pertain to you. What gives you the feeling inside that you feel nourished? It takes you one notch closer to whole. I want you to hear that. It takes you to one notch closer to whole. And as we get older, 
they shift and change. And so sometimes I've, I've worked with clients or, or even myself. Here, here's an example myself. When I was younger, I was a runner. I was a runner in, in high school, started my senior year, mainly because I was a field hockey player. And then I ran on the side to get better and better. And then I became a runner. I just ran in college and then ran after college. And I loved running. And it gave me a feeling of freedom. And it gave me a feeling of joy. And it gave me that feeling of being one step closer to whole. And the truth is, a few years ago, I was, you know, working with my self-care, and I would go running, and it didn't feel good, and it didn't feel good, and it didn't feel good, and I kept trying, and I kept trying, <laughs> and then I said, it doesn't feel good. It didn't feel good on my knees. It didn't feel good in my head. It didn't feel good in my body, and so I shifted, and I tried something different, and I tried yoga. Now, I've been doing yoga on and off for about 10 years now, but very much on and off. So it wasn't a consistent practice. But about six months ago, I started, maybe it's longer than that, maybe a year, year and a half ago, I started to try yoga once a week. And I felt the same feeling I got from running. Now, there's lots of other ways to self-care, but for me, moving my body in a way that helps my breath regulate, which is what running did, which is now what yoga does, is really important. And I believe that regulated breathing deep pattern that we get from body movement can really be beneficial. But it's important to recognize as we get older that that may shift. So don't keep doing things because you think they're supposed to work or because they used to work. Or because Sally down the street does them and she loves it. You're not Sally. You're whoever you are. So part of really finding the self in our self-care is finding out what feels good in our body. And that becomes more important than anything. Because that's what enables our body to really connect in, to feel nurtured, supported, and cared for. Self-care can look a lot of different ways. And I'm going to talk about some of the bigger ways that maybe you've heard about or maybe you haven't and stress some of the importance around them. But then again, I want you to recognize that I want you to take this and to start to experiment to see what feels right for you, you, your body, your mind, your soul. Self-care can look like more sleep. I know nobody really talks about this. Can't tell you how many people that I talked to, and I was one of these. I was the self-proclaimed reverse narcissist around my sleep. I really could function on very little sleep, and I really did it for a really long time, probably about 16 years. And then my body crashed. Because no sleep is no good. The research on sleep is astounding. We are so sleep deprived as a nation, they can't even quantify it. We live on caffeine and sodas and not on sleep. And we get so little in this country and we have so many diseases associated with sleep deprivation. Obesity, weight gain, 
associated with sleep deprivation. 100% link. I think it's like 80-something percent. It's astounding. Anything related to inflammation is exacerbated by too little sleep. So diabetes, heart disease, cancer, all related to inflammation now. Inflammation gets worse with too little sleep. Because remember, when we sleep, we recover and we repair, right? Anxiety can be worsened with too little sleep. So we overwork, we overexhaust, we overdo, we overeat, we overdrink, we overdrug. But it's so rare to hear somebody say, I make sure I get my adequate sleep allotment every night. Why is that? We don't value it in our country. We value what we do instead of what we are. And that's a problem. And that problem can change with you. I'm not really sure where and how it all began. I'm sure I could figure it out. And there's probably some really good sociology papers written on where did that change in our world and in our society. Because I know in tribal times, you didn't have one person going around the whole tribe fixing everybody high on caffeine. <laughs> you, you had the whole tribe sleeping the same allotment of time, helping each other. If one person got too much, another person or maybe five other people in the tribe split the load. Right? But at some point, it went awry. And we started to value the doing. And then we valued the lack of sleep. And we are struggling as a nation to recover. Now, if sleep is a way that you distract or a way that you isolate, then that is not appropriate for you. Just like reading a book, right? For some people, reading a book can be really self, like a really, um, feel really nurturing, can be a part of self-care if they don't have a lot of time to do that, if it really feeds their soul, right? That reading a book can be another way of self-care. But if you use it to distract or isolate, it's not the right way for you. Some other ways to care for yourself that you may or may not have heard of or thought about. Having a stress plan. This is so important in our country and in our culture. Now more than ever, every year that I look up things on stress and talk more and more about it, I keep, one, finding more reasons why we need to have stress plans, and two, finding more uh, ways that we have more stress. <laughs> so besides sleep, uh, you know, I th actually think sleep deprivation, it, it may be one of the, may be the number one killer in our country and what it's associated with. I also believe that stress is high up on that list as, as well. And so what de-stresses you, not distracts you, very different. What do you de how do you de-stress versus how do you distract? Small amounts of distraction can be good. You have a really bad day at work, you come home, and maybe for you, you pop on a movie. And you kind of get lost in the movie for a little while, and then you come back out of the movie, and then you figure out kind of what went wrong with the day, and get some, you know, some good nurturing food, and you, and you go to bed, and you recalibrate for the morning. Okay, a little bit of distraction, right? That's okay. 
But when you're constantly distracting, phones, iPhones are a great way that people distract. You can find yourself super busy on an iPhone for a super long time. And it is just distraction. It is not de-stressing. In fact, we know it does the opposite. Increases blood pressure, increases cortisol, increases a whole lot of things. It's not helping. So for you, what's your stress plan? Is it exercise, movement, gardening, cutting the lawn, watching a sunset, staring at the clouds? In really stressful times, you will find me sitting on my back porch looking at the sky maybe anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. Sometimes if I have time, I can do it longer. It's a way that my mind clears. So what is it for you? Finding your creativity, another great way to care for yourself, whether it's painting, pottery, planting, doodling, writing, all creative outlets that help feed the soul are a facet of self-care. You don't have to go to a studio. You can do it at your house. You can do it in many ways, but you need to do that if it feels close to home for you. Grounding. Grounding is a, an earthing now is a term. So much research actually is coming out on earthing. Um, it's where you actually get your feet in the, on the earth for anywhere from one to five minutes a day. And I can't believe we have to instruct people to do this, but we are actually at this point in our country. Get your feet in the mud, get your hands in the dirt, can bring you one step closer to whole, if that's what feels right for you. Body movement. Now, this doesn't have to be exercise. So many people are so caught up in, oh, I go here and I go there and I do this. And doesn't have to be that as part of your stress plan or part of your self-care. It can just be the intertwining of both. And it's got to be something that feels good to you and your body. It's not about pushing it. It's not about making it through that 60-minute class and then falling over for the rest of the afternoon. It can be dancing, hiking, walking, running, any facet of exercise. Don't forget about things like pickleball, tennis, horseback riding, swimming. The list can go on and on and on, it's not about burning calories. It's about moving your body in an intentional way so that it feels nurtured. And finally, laughter. Bet you didn't think I'd say that. I'm on a really big joy hunt. <laughs> I'm on a joy hunt lately. And I recognize the different, how different I feel on the days that I laugh a lot versus the days I don't. And so I did a little research, and I want you to hear this. Laughter may actually be one of our best medicines behind food, my opinion. Laughter we know, and this is all quoted from research, so I want you to hear what it does. Laughter increases heart and respiratory rates as well as oxygen consumption. Pretty amazing. Laughter affects heart function. So it increases heart function, stroke volume, cardiac output. After an intense laughter, you can increase in muscle tone. We've all felt that at one point or another in our lives in our stomach muscles. We know that watching humorous videos revs up the sympathetic nervous system. 
and that's really helpful for the body. Laughter lowers cortisol. It lowers cortisol. It activates the mesolimbic dopamine, okay, I'm going to try and say this, dop, dopaminogenic reward system in the brain. I actually tried that before we got on the call, but I still can't get it. All it is is it activates the part of the brain that needs reward. And so that reward center is also really problematic for people who overeat, right? So you get that craving. That craving can come from that reward center in the brain. We know that laughter also feeds, no pun intended, that part of the brain that wants that reward. It also, that part of the brain is also active in any facet of addiction, not just food, but alcohol as well. Laughter increases serum, aminoglobulin A and E, and those are the natural killer cell activity in your body. It increases that so it helps immune function. And it raises level of beta endorphins and increases growth hormone. Laughter may really be one of our best tools for self-care. How many people think of getting together with friends and laughing as part of their self-care? Well, now you should. And I do. The older I get, the wiser I get the more I recognize the radical impact connection, love, and laughter have on us individually and as a country. Maya Angelou said, as you grow older, you will discover that you have two hands, one for helping yourself, the other for helping others. I agree with you. And make sure the one that you use to help yourself is your dominant hand. Because without that, you can't use the other hand to help others. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Rate, review, and subscribe. You never know who you'll help become the next overcomer.